It's the Dirty Debrief, where I read listener feedback, talk about podcast craft stuff, and any general follow-up. First of all, we have some more listener takes on the pickle line from scene four, i.e. when Johnny says to Robbie, put your pickle on everybody's plate, college boy, and leave the hard stuff to me. Sarah and Elizabeth from Oregon wrote me through the Butt Out Baby Instagram account, which you can do as well. I'll probably respond unless you're being really mean. Sarah wrote me and said, Liz and I both feel that the pickle slash plate comment was a dick joke, pitting man against boy. Basically, while you stick your dick in all the fun college boy, the men deal with the hard stuff, i.e. consequences for your actions, standing by and taking care of Penny no matter what. Also, shout out to Liz's twin, Annie, who I know listens to the podcast as well. The hard stuff being dealing with consequences of your action is very interesting framing as dealing with the consequences of your action being such a fundamental part of becoming an adult or should be at least. Kids are treated more leniently in the justice system because there's a recognition that their brains are still developing, that their lack of life experience makes them vulnerable to manipulation. And so, yeah, that that very much is a boy versus man because Johnny and Robbie are not boys. So I look forward to talking more about them. What is Robbie's deal exactly here? Where does that come from? There's this fun podcast called The Alarmist where each episode asks who's to blame for particular historical disasters, whether it's like the Titanic or the death of Cleopatra or like more silly topics like who's to blame for Independence Day, the movie. And when we get down to this part in the movie, I think maybe we should do an episode on who's to blame for Penny's unsafe abortion because there's Robbie, but there's also a lot more people who played a part in staging the pieces for that outcome. For the rest of the debrief, I wanted to talk about my friend Andrew's surprising nice Jewish boy media icon and then on a little craft level for those interested in the tech side I'll touch on dealing with plosives in recordings. I met my friend Andrew in grad school and as he grew up in a Jewish household and went to Jewish camps I figured he'd have an opinion on the idea of the nice Jewish boy. We had a wide-ranging conversation, which is typical for us because we're both nerds, but when I was reviewing the recording, it didn't quite work for the scene, Um, but Andrew did say one thing I found surprising and interesting enough I wanted to play it here. We had been talking about where Andrew would have learned in media about the sort of ideal nice Jewish boy. In thinking of examples of like the kind of smart-ass nice Jewish boy in my pop culture subconscious I was like maybe the most important one in terms of like the shadow that they have cast is Kyle from South Park <laughs> wow for those who need a little refresher on South Park it is an animated show that debuted in 1997 has a very distinct look which is this animation that looks like construction paper cutouts. The main characters are four white boys in a fictional Colorado town. Probably the most famous of the characters is Eric Cartman, who, as Wikipedia puts it, is principally characterized by his obesity, 
his amorality, and his bigoted and especially anti-Semitic disposition. I watched the first few seasons of the show as it came out and did not recall that Kyle was Jewish, but I'm looking up the full names now and his name is indeed Kyle Broflovsky. Like South Park was really important to me as a kid, but I'm pretty sure that it resulted in a 500% increase in people calling me Jewish slurs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, again, uh, South Park, one of the two co-creators, Jewish man, Matt Stone, but like, you know, certainly jokes that made me laugh, some of which still make me laugh that are like all about <laughs> calling Kyle every Jewish slur and like what he does in the face of that. One of the core story or like joke engines of South Park is like Cartman, who's like the Archie Bunker, like, you know, he has all the wrong opinions and says all the most awful things. And, you know, it's both obviously supposed to be wrong, but also people find him hilarious. So it's complicated in that way. Constantly saying anti-Semitic stuff to Kyle to like belittle him. And like Kyle is smarter and nicer and kinder and is usually like being yelled at for like doing totally the right thing or saying a totally reasonable thing and then he will stand up for himself and like say awful stuff about Cartman's body or that he's a you know dumbass or whatever so you know there's no heroes here but the like I think that it is an interesting defining aspect of the relationship that he like isn't a pushover uses his words the way that he responds and perseveres in the face of his asshole anti-semitic friend is often funny i was surprised by this revelation i think because you know now at the wise age of 38 i cannot fathom drawing aspiration from a purposely offensive cartoon but the thing is i also loved south park as a child I remember specifically when it debuted in Canada, I was 12 years old. My friend phoned me on the landline, of course, and was like, you have to turn on the comedy network. There is a construction paper little kid swearing his face off at a group of aliens. And I was like, say no more. I'd still remember turning on the TV on my little TV in my room that was on a stand with wheels and seeing Kyle scream at a group of aliens who had kidnapped his little brother. I had never seen a kid swear like that on TV. And bonus that there were aliens involved. I think for me as a generally rule abiding, good grades getting kid, the transgression of a little kid swearing like that just felt goddamn exhilarating. Especially as I, you know, that's around the age where you're starting to recognize your tastes and things, taste, my taste in humor, which was more towards absurdist, sarcastic, and dark. When I was kind of refreshing myself on South Park, I had recalled they had a black character on the show whose literal name was Token. And I went searching through some clips uh, to remind myself how that character was presented and I came across one where Cartman is starting a band and he goes over to Token's house and tells him to grab a bass guitar. And Token is like, what? We don't have one. And Cartman is like, your family's black. There's a bass guitar somewhere in your house. And the rest of the scene plays out like this, where Cartman continues to outrageously stereotype Token, who is black. Um, but at every turn, he's inevitably proven right, as Token is not only able to find a bass in his parents' house, 
but he's a natural at playing it. And I was reading through the YouTube comments on this scene and one commenter was like, this helped me as a black kid understand how important bass is to hip hop and R&B. And it's a pretty fucked up way to find out LMAO. Oh my God, I just hope with like, that there's so much more media to choose from these days that hopefully a show like South Park doesn't have to be the only place where a black kid learns about the bass and a straight A student learns that swearing can be cathartic or a Jewish kid learning that there can be resilience through comedy. Because while South Park provided those little insights, it comes with a lot of fucking baggage. As Andrew said, on the one hand, Cartman is supposed to be obviously the bad guy who says outrageously offensive things, but also people find him very funny. And when you get people laughing at racial slurs, sexist, homophobic, transphobic jokes, after a while, it's like, wait, are they laughing because they think it's ironic or because they think dehumanizing marginalized groups is actually funny? And coming back to Dirty Dancing, where all roads lead. You'll recall the starving children in Europe dinner conversation from last scene. I said it was cringy because it was, it felt like it was sort of making a little joke about famines. And while I am someone who likes dark humor, I only find that it works with close friends because otherwise it is impossible to be sure why a person might find a joke like that funny. A critique I read about South Park at the AV Club by somebody who was an actual fan and watched all the episodes, unlike me, who stopped after a few seasons. And he said that the cumulative effect of perpetually shitting on things led the show from a healthy, amused skepticism into self-satisfied superiority and hatred. You know what doesn't do that? Dirty Dancing. Part of the reason I think Dirty Dancing is mocked is that, unlike South Park, it is so sincere to a degree that sometimes feels embarrassing because it's not actually brave or bold or interesting to make offensive jokes about oppressed groups of people. It's a lot braver to just be like, I really care about this. And just leave it at that. When your baby leaves you all alone and nobody calls you on the phone don't you feel like So Mari had borrowed her roommate's mic and it was so sensitive. If I recall correctly, it was a blue Yeti USB mic and that's not necessarily a knock on the microphone, but maybe just a warning to you if you decide to get that mic to make sure you experiment with the mic position. So on Mari's original recording, there were tons of plosives. Plosives are like the bursts of air that sometimes come out with P and B words, I think sometimes T words as well. So if your mic is sensitive and is pointed 
you know, directly in line with your mouth, that puff of air will make the recording sound distorted. So for example, check out that goat punk. The biggest problem with this is that plosives are really freaking hard to deal with in the edit. So always the best course of action is to try and avoid them in the first place by moving your mic so it's at a slight angle as to avoid being directly in line with those puffs. Uh, that's what I do. I put the mic, as I'm talking to the mic right now, it's just a little bit below where my mouth is. Or you could get a pop filter which you've maybe seen in music videos. It's like, it's like it has like a circular frame with mesh in it that attaches to the mic to, to cover it. Um, I once had to finish in grad school, finish uh, an assignment and I had booked out a room that came with a microphone that was so friggin' sensitive and I had been to the gym earlier. And so I used a pair of underwear to act as a pop filter. Okay, but obviously in the case of Mari's recording, the deed had already been done uh, many times. So I'll tell you the two methods I know, at least, when trying to deal with plosives in a recording. The first I sometimes do is I literally just erase the part of the word that has the distortion. Um, so zoom in quite a bit. Plosives are very obvious looking in waveform. It's like suddenly there's this steep swoop and I'll play you a moment where there are actually two plosives. And then I will play you right after a clip where I use that method of zooming in and just taking out the distortion. A turning point in a lot of ways. A turning point in a lot of ways. I also did tiny little fade ins and outs with the hope that that would make it sound a little bit more seamless. The other method I sometimes use is an equalizer or EQ. EQs are available pretty much, I think, in every audio editing software. It is a processing tool that lets you control different frequency bands within a track. In the case of plosives, they are in the low frequency range. And so what I'll do is apply an EQ just to a part of the track that has the section with the plosives and I will cut out the entire low end, all the low end frequencies. So again, I'll play the original clip followed by another clip that has been processed using this method with the EQ. A turning point in a lot of ways. A turning point in a lot of ways. The problem with the EQ method, the high pass filter as it is, as it's called, because it's allowing a, the high end to pass through and it's eliminating the low end. So doing that means you're, you're, you're erasing a chunk of the frequency, which means it affects the overall sound quality. So one more time, I'll play the original and then I'll play the chopping out the part of the word tactic and then play the EQ tactic and you can decide which one you like best. A turning point in a lot of ways. A turning point in a lot of ways. A turning point in a lot of ways. Sometimes if I just think it sounds too bad, no matter what I do fiddling around with it, I will just take, I'll just leave it out. I'll just leave that whole sentence out. Or maybe I'll try and replace the entire word with like a similar word or the same word, but she said in a different part. Obviously this is all extra work that you would rather not do because editing can be so much work uh, in its own right. So figure out that damn mic placement. Um, I think if you're an audiobook actor, there are some vocal techniques to learn to help minimize this, but like, I think it's a lot easier to just move your microphone. Okay, dear listeners, thank you for listening. Follow the Instagram 
give the show five stars. Next scene. Next scene is the longest scene so far. Um, I have no idea when I will finish the episode, but I promise you I will. In the meantime, let me give you a recommendation, which is the novel Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keyes. It's an Irish novel that came out in 1998. It was massively popular with Irish women, but very much, you know, categorized as chiclet and given kind of shitty looking book covers. And so it seems like it was really overlooked by critics for a long time. And in Canada, I certainly have never heard of it before. Um, it's possible. I have a theory that it may be part of it as it got overshadowed by Bridget Jones diary, which came out right around the same time. And they are similar. Um, they're both, you know, about funny, um, flawed, self-conscious female protagonists that have sort of dysfunctional heterosexual dating lives. But, oh man, I was really, I was just pretty blown away by it. I'm just not sure the last time I read such a humanizing book about addiction that doesn't romanticize it at all but also the book is very fun to read. It's just an incredible balancing act. It's not remotely pretentious, just like our fave Dirty Dancing, and I think you might enjoy it while you are waiting another 18 months for my next episode. Just kidding, it won't be 18 months. That's really long. It'll just be like medium long. Until then.